welcome to the Press Gallery, the Edmonton Journal's politics podcast. This is the Preaching to the Choir edition, and today with me, I have reporter Stuart Thompson. Hey. How's it going? Good. Just uh, drinking some coffee. Yeah, yeah. How's that sleep <laughs> deprivation, you baby thing? Uh, it's going okay. Okay, good. Uh, city columnist Paula Simons. Good morning. Good morning. Hello. And uh, opinion page editor Sarah O'Donnell. Hello. Back to join us again. How yes, exciting. Yes, I'm very pleased to be back. Hooray. Uh, so today we've got a few things on the go. We're going to be talking Premier Notley's State of the Province speech, which was to a friendly crowd of handpicked NDP supporters. Um, some interesting polling numbers and uh, this strange thing called Future Ready, which the government has been out just promoting to the hills this week. God, they seem to really love that thing. First of all, let's look at Notley. Lee's speech. Now, I'm going to be honest, you guys. I actually had a dental appointment when this thing was happening, which was surprisingly not as painful as watching a political <laughs> state of the province address. Well, because it is worth saying that this did not happen in Edmonton where these things typically take place. She did this in Calgary. Exactly. That's fascinating in of itself. Exactly. And, you know, my dental appointment went well. Um, do we think the speech went well? Did anyone watch this thing live? No. It was on in the newsroom. I was kind of, it was wafting into my brain. <laughs> yeah, I didn't watch it. Didn't watch it live. I certainly saw some Twitter reaction to it coming yeah. out live, and then uh, had a chance to review it uh, in print later on. You so. do have the entire. I do. Lot in front of you right now, I'm pretty Sarah. geeky that way, but thank you for outing me as a killer of trees. Yes, all 17 pages. I'm sad there's no highlighter marks on there. <sighs> Don't need to. It's all in the head. <laughs> no worries. So, what do we think here? And Paula, you make a good point. It was in Calgary. Uh, it wasn't in Edmonton. I think that it is a smart thing to actually do that in Calgary. I think Calgary is feeling the downturn in a way that Edmonton Edmonton is feeling, but not in the way that Calgary is. So I think that if you are going to give a state of the province and, and talk about what's going on, it's smart to do it in a place where people are feeling it. At least it gives the impression that you care about what is happening there. The audience obviously was NDP people, so maybe you didn't have people frowning at her as she said the words, but I, I don't know. I thought the setting was okay. I think also you couldn't have given that speech to a normal Calgary business crowd because it was... So there, I guess there's two options here. One is that speech was meant for the province as a whole and her supporters, uh, or it was a speech meant for Calgary that was super tone deaf, like really tone deaf. Those lines like socialism for the rich and you know the, uh, this is a, a government that has uh, raised corporate taxes which is not going to be popular there i think there's an ndp idea that you can take on the rich and it's kind of free political points but i don't think in calgary that that's how people think i think in calgary being rich and in alberta as a whole and for a lot of people in canada being rich is what you want to be and that's a good thing and some of those lines i think didn't really ring true for me or people in Calgary. When I did watch a replay of it, because Sarah, like you, that's the kind of geek that I am, her delivery wasn't really on point. Notley's usually pretty good at, you know, being on point and a few of the lines were stumbled. Um, I don't know why though. I mean, it was the anniversary, I, I believe, of her father's death. Um, maybe the apprentice death had, had something to do with it. Paula, what did you think of the messaging overall? It's a problem, right? I mean, everybody knows what her problem is. The price of oil is you know, down below the you know sea level. I mean, it's up slightly this week. I mean, we're you know now, now we're cheer now now we're cheering when oil hits fifty dollars a barrel. Isn't that a different state of affairs? So you know the the economy, especially in Calgary, is in the tank. The carbon tax is very unpopular in that Calgary audience. Um, if you're going to go and give the speech in Calgary, and if you're going to go to Calgary ostensibly to 
indicate that you understand uh, how devastating this has been for Calgary. I think Stuart's right. I think you need to tailor your language a little more carefully for your audience. That said, I mean, I, I do think she made clear some important points she needed to make, which is to say that she is not going to have a Ralph Klein response to this economic downturn, that she is not going to start slashing public services, that she's not going to start laying off teachers and nurses, um, That, but also to get the message out there to her allies that if you think there is money coming for you, there is not money coming for you. And I think that messaging... Uh, delivered maybe with a little subtlety um well i think a was, lot of, a lot of a, subtlety yeah. actually yeah you had to you had to kind of look for it and that you know when i was rereading it and didn't hear it being actually spoken out loud those are the words that actually did jump out for me i mean she's saying you know she says you know we the fiscal situation issue, which was the word that our colleague Graham Thompson picked on, that she <coughs> crisis, stumbled one of the lines. <coughs> but, you yeah. know, she talked about the provincial government being able to serve as an economic shock absorber for a time. But that saying that as the economy proves, improves, the provincial budget is going to have to come back into balance, too. And, yeah, talked about protecting health care and education, but not having a lot of money for other big budget items. Like she's talking about, what's the word? Talking about not having big projects, basically. And a message to municipalities, too, that I think is pretty plain that, you know, whatever yeah. big shiny thing you have, like, say, a giant super football stadium, friends in Calgary, um, or a train, friends in Edmonton, whatever your municipal wish list is do not be looking to the province to be your special special friend um that's a message i think she needs to get out more clearly to constituencies like the ata like the like the united nurses of alberta like you know all the public sector unions and all of the other orders of government that things are not you know the cash is not flowing they will do what they can to be that shock absorber but they cannot uh, I cannot keep spending at the kind of pace that, that all kinds of Albertans sort of assume that the government just will. And I suspect this is the first salvo in that, right? I mean, we are, what, about half a year out till the budget, March, typically we see the budget out. Yeah. So this is typically the time. Often we don't kind of see this messaging start until December, where we start to get warnings about what's coming in the March budget. But I think we're starting to get a sense of it I now. I, I was at a um, Brian Mason press conference a week or two ago and he said something similar and I was talking to Keith Geraint, our health reporter. He's hearing similar things so I wouldn't be surprised if there was an all party message out about that. And, and properly so. I mean I think you know Albertans Albertans like to have their cake and eat it too. They want the province to balance the budget. At the same time they want the province to reduce taxes and increase spending. And Albertans seem to think that the that, you know that the money fairies will somehow make that possible. And if only Jason <laughs> Kenny Well, if only Jason, you know, Jason Kenny or, you know, whoever is the savior du jour were in power, then everything would be fine. But you know what? There are no money fairies for for any party. Uh, and we you know, we cannot as a province have world class, state of the art public services and low taxes and a balanced budget. This is just not a thing that is going to happen. Even if oil rebounds to $100 a barrel, we need to be a lot more pragmatic about how we budget in this province and, and what our reasonable expectations can be at the tax rate that we choose to pay. I really wish that money fairies were a thing. <laughs> I bet Rachel Notley does too. <laughs> 
But I, it's a good point, Paula. I think, though, that Alberta isn't alone in uh, hoping and wishing the government would just, you know, pay for everything and also not charge me any tax and also do everything I ever want them to. I, I think that's democracy's the world over kind of wish for that, don't they? I was I was dealing with some mail this week from people who like, you know, why doesn't the Edmonton Journal just give away its paper for free? I mean, we would all like every everything should be free. I would like... You know, I would like my restaurant meals to be free and my gas in my car to be free. I would like everything to be free. Mm -hmm. Uh, Unfortunately, there's there's a dearth of money fairies out there and that's not actually how the world works, children. This is kind of a nice segue to the polling numbers that came out this week that didn't look super awesome for the NDP. It was the Citizen Society Research Lab at Lethbridge College. So it put the PCs ahead with 38.4% support among decided voters. Uh, Wild Rose at 25.7% and the NDP way out last there at 19.7%. Now I had both Wild Rose and NDPers kind of go, whatever. <laughs> polls am i right um well do we think it, there's anything here well one does have to consider the source i mean this is a poll from True. from farron ellis who is not just uh, a professional pollster but a, a political player in alberta um i mean uh some of his analysis is pretty good these numbers i found really really surprising and yeah and i thought it was interesting to see how people were spinning them you know the, the jason kenny camp was saying see see this means that the people want me to unite the right and get rid of the conservative party and i thought really is that what those numbers mean i'm not sure that's what those numbers mean because <laughs> that's that seemed to me to be a rather wishful interpretation of people saying they'd rather have the progressive conservatives than the wild rose the other thing too was there was strong support for merger in that poll but at this point uh, the merger is whatever magical merger you can imagine in your mind like what will this merged party's platform be Well, at this point, as voters, we get to just imagine what it will be, and it will be something along the lines of what we want it to be. And I think we've also got the PC leadership race, too, which is going to boost their numbers a little bit. So there's a lot of, like, there's probably three or four factors here that could boost this poll in the PC's favor. And I I think what we should be looking at is more specific questions about policies and more specific questions about, for example, Jason Kenney has made a lot of noise about the carbon tax. I think that's an easy one. But there are tougher issues along the social issues, which is how is he going to respond to the GSAs, the gay straight alliances in schools? He has said the government needs to communicate better on that. And I wonder if he's trying to play both sides where people who are against GSAs in schools think, yeah, maybe this guy's on my side, but he's not actually saying get rid of them. These are going to be the issues when he has to actually articulate a position on them is going to is going to be a lot harder to get that support. So the merged party has a lot of questions to be answered still and these polls right now are probably a peak because it's a it's a fantasy party at this point. On that GSA thing Jason Kenny when I was out on the road in in the summer, I guess with him, he had a, a habit of saying about the NDP socially engineering schools and that was almost, you know, pointing towards GSAs. So he you yeah. kind of you right there in that you know, people who support him think, oh, maybe he's on my side, certainly when he uses language like that. I'm really, really curious about this PC leadership race and then what happens after it because I think I did a poll on the Main Street poll that happened about a month ago where support for same-sex marriage was through the roof. Like in Alberta, it was in the mid-60s. And that is a big change from like 10 years ago. And we have noticed that it's been a disqualifying topic for some Wild Rose candidates and it's 
torpedoed an election for the Wild Rose. So it has become an issue that you can't do the dog whistle thing on. And when you look back on Stephen Harper with abortion, he just didn't want to touch it. You can you can imagine what I believe on this topic, but we're not going to actually talk about it. We're not going to vote on it. And I don't think you can get away with that with this issue. So it is going to create an interesting thing in the electorate where can this party play both sides? Can they get the centrist progressive or the centrist kind of like right progressive people who are in favor of the GSAs and then also satisfy the base? It's going to be a really hard thing to do. And then it also adds maybe some ammo to someone like Sandra Jansen who's going to say, look, Redford wasn't the right person to lead this center-right coalition, but that center-right coalition needs to happen. It'll be a really interesting couple of years. Stuart, I, lo- I love, you know, when you talk about a fantasy, it's like one of those fantasy sports leagues where you get to pick the players <laughs> that you would like for your imaginary yeah. team. I mean, so when people say, oh, well, <laughs> we, 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 su- we support having one party, I'm guessing that lots of red Tories support having one party indeed. <laughs> yeah, in which what party? The, in which the Wild Rose just <laughs> goes away. You yeah. know, I, I, they'd be in favor of a unified party that looks just the way they want it to look with just the people they want and i think it is one issue as to when someone phones you and first of all who picks up their phone when it's an unknown number i always i'm always (laughs) baffled by that because this was a telephone poll as opposed to one of the online ones but so that's how people say when someone randomly calls them up and asks some questions on the phone but when you look at the fundraising numbers that came out which i think is so how are people voting with their money you see that in terms of the individual parties, this is a story that our colleague James Wood wrote down from the Calgary Herald and Calgary Sun, that you know the NDP raised in that third quarter more than $400,000 compared to 330000 for the Wild Rose and 59000 for the PCs. So that's a substantial difference in money. Now, there is the Jason Kenney question again, so that's out there as a different thing because... It's always out there, the Jason <laughs> Kenney question. You know, and they say he raised... a. Uh, a fair chunk of yeah, cash. Five, near five hundred thousand dollars. Yes, raised, but yeah. that you know for the for his leadership or some yeah, for his leadership bid. But there are currently no rules around leadership spending or fundraising. So that's yeah. an interesting. But but if you're just too. talking about the specific Absolutely. party fundraising, so not yeah. the PCs as a theory, um, and not the individual people, then you know the NDP were doing okay when it came to the cash. It's been a weird week this week in terms of the polling numbers and then the fundraising that's come out. Also, Q3, um, the, those third quarter fundraising results, it's the first time uh, that the ND, this year that the NDP has out-fundraised the Wild Rose Party. And I don't know whether, I mean, you'll have Wild Rose telling you, see, look, third quarter's hard because no one picks up their phone. It's like, is it though? Because, well, it didn't seem so hard for the NDP. But the Wild Rose is still ahead of the NDP overall. It's also, there's a a cultural thing to, on the grassroots right, where I I think, and this is why Stephen Harper's conservatives did so well in the fundraising, is because they did the direct mail thing supremely well, and then people got into the habit of, you know what, I support these guys, here's 10 bucks, here's 20 bucks, here's whatever, and that kind of fundraising, I think they've gotten really good at. I think the NDP could do that, because they have a similar... I think on the margins, they have similar kinds of supporters who are very enthusiastic and very active and would be inclined to do that. But I think the Wild Rose is the culture of that, and they can maybe benefit on that. I spoke with um, Rachel Notley this week, actually, about the fundraising. It was her two-year anniversary in charge of the NDP this week. She wasn't doing anything except driving to Calgary (laughs) for a a State of the Province address. But I asked her about the fundraising and whether it's kind of strange to be the party that wanted to take big money out of politics. And now that 
there was suddenly they're out fundraised the Wild Rose for the first time. They were doing the rounds. The NDP were kind of doing the rounds of journalists going, hey, did you uh, did you see the fundraising results, you guys? Check it out. Check out how much money we've made. And I said to her, does it feel kind of weird and icky to be pushing that message when you were the ones who wanted to get big money out of politics to begin with? And she kind of went, well... It does cost money. Like an election costs money, but what we want is it to be an equal platform. And last election, you know, the Conservatives outspent us, you know, five, six, ten to one in terms of dollars, and we still managed to win. Yeah, we see how well that went for them. But I I think Sarah (laughs) Sarah raises a really interesting point about what Kenny is doing to Conservative fundraising by by sort of sucking all that money into his own campaign. That is money that's not going to either the Wild Rose or the PCs. And, you know, to, I mean, the PCs have serious financial problems. So for him to be kind of the black hole that's swallowing up all that cash um, is not great for the PCs' own rebuilding efforts. It'll be interesting to see how the other other PC leadership candidates in the coming months, now that the race is officially on, uh, how they do and how that, how that compares. I mean, yeah, if you're the party, you probably are expecting to not get a lot of money during the leadership race as a party because it's going into the leadership race. Yeah, you know, and, and not just Kenny, but it'll be going to Donna kennedy Glenn right. and Sandra Jansen. I mean, they'll all be out there fundraising, and that's all money that is not going to the party. So when you look at how far down they are in that list, I mean, maybe it's not so shocking. Still, that can't be good news for for PC Inc. I think also don't underestimate the support that Jason Kenney can get from people who, and when I did a, a story on Jason Kenney and Brian Jean, all I kept hearing was people saying, I don't care. Like, do whatever you have to do. Just beat the NDP. And right, yeah. if anyone looks like they might do it, sure, I'll give them 20 bucks. Like that's, I think that's kind of what's happening right now. And people I spoke to who supported Brian Jean uh, and like on the record supported him, I kind of see they're looking towards Jason Kenney and saying, well, let's see where this goes. And they're not going to support him, but I mean, they're not going to be against him and, and not full-throatedly against him for sure. Yeah. I want to take us now just uh, over to something called Future Ready. Back which, to the future? Well, you know what? Future Ready, though, doesn't it sound like something out of the thick of it? Like it sounds <laughs> like the thing that they came up with in the backseat of the car on the way to a press event. I don't know if you guys saw that episode. Yeah. I'm going to rewatch the entire series now. <laughs> um, yeah. So Future Ready, they unveiled at uh, Queen Elizabeth High School this week. And it's this government plan to kind of have the labor, advanced education and education ministries all working together, chummy, and we're going to figure this out and have all our Burtons ready to you know, approach the modern workforce, which apparently they are not ready um, right now. It's so weird. I mean, doesn't this sound like progressive conservative rhetoric? I was just so (laughs) struck, you know, all these years that I would rant and rave in my columns, you know, that the purpose of education is not to create worker bees and the purpose of education is to create, you know, informed, involved citizens, not to create people who will go into your, you know, factories and, and, and oil rigs and work for you. And I thought, uh-huh. Well, uh, apparently I uh, if I thought that the NDP had a different perspective, I was I was incorrect. Well, I remember Thomas Lukasik uh, proposing a very similar plan where it would encourage people to be engineers and really any was any one of us, which I do, who has an immigrant father has heard all this stuff like you got to be an engineer doctor, lawyer, something good, you know, something that'll make you some money. And I, I, that's... I really failed there as an immigrant, didn't I? <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah did, did anybody's parents here say to them, hey, you should go into journalism yeah, no. because that's a... That's the... I think my mother's phrase was, you, you could always be a lawyer who writes, dear. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Terrible <laughs> disappointment. 
But, you know, the Alberta's curriculum uh, is in sad need of an overhaul because, right. I mean, lots of it is just incredibly dated. You know, social studies curriculum that is still rooted in the in a Cold War paradigm, uh, math curriculum that is you know, been making parents uh, woefully unhappy and, and lowering math scores. I mean, there are all kinds of things that we want to improve in the curriculum. Jargon like this drives me crazy. And just, just to make myself completely, completely round the bend, I did the online survey. Uh, <laughs> did you? I, oh, I, so I, I should probably note here that Future Ready has multiple parts to it, um, one of which <laughs> is a curriculum overhaul. And um, what they unveiled uh, this week was that there's an online survey that Paula so helpfully did. That's hardcore, Paula. But good research. I don't know that any government does this right, but they're the questions are all completely leading, you know, so there are things like, you know, are you in, you know, are, are you in favor of teaching children the value of responsibility? Like, no, yeah. I'm not. <laughs> so I want to go through it again from a different computer and answer all the questions in the most, you know, ridiculous way possible. But every question, you, you either have to agree or strongly agree because to disagree would make you you know, uh, oh, well, that's yeah, that's classic survey. I mean, it, you, it, you've heard complaints from all kinds of interest groups over the year about the government writing the survey in the way that it will get the answers yeah. that it wants. If that's yeah. that's just tradition, it doesn't matter yeah. who's in power. Yeah, but the and, but this is particularly egregious because the questions are. Well, I've all, taken some other surveys yeah. that were particularly yeah, egregious. Yeah, no, I mean, so. my, my particular favorite one was the one about the Galleria a few years ago, which basically required oh, you God. to say, "How much do you love the Galleria? <laughs> are you super excited? <laughs> are you crazy excited?" I mean. <laughs> But, but this survey is it, it's completely insulting because at the end of it, after you've said that you agree with all of these things, I mean, it gives the government carte blanche to come up with anything because they'll say, oh, well, see, 99% of people who filled out the survey said they were, you know, not racist about First Nations people. So, so here's our First Nations curriculum. Well, there's nothing in there that is actually going to help anybody with any common sense form a curriculum. It's just an exercise in manufacturing consent. And it is, yes, distressing to see. Chomsky. Yes. <laughs> yes. Can I just, can I just... Hey, Noam. So it's, it's just distressing to see that no government, you know, no government apparently can resist the urge to use school children as backdrops mm. at press events, and no government can resist the urge to write bogus surveys that demonstrate absolutely nothing about what the public thinks. <laughs> just bringing it back to the thick of it, that episode you're talking about, they're on their way to a press conference, a political press event. Cool. The Treasury Department tells them they can no longer announce the thing that yeah. they're going to announce. Yeah. And they're in the car trying to figure out an announcement that they can make that's free and that nobody will get mad about. <laughs> exactly. And it's tremendous television. And I think a couple of weeks ago, I went to that press conference <laughs> in this province. What was and that? So we're talking about future ready and jargon and all this kind of stuff. I think there has been, you know, you see the poll numbers and... I understand the NDP is probably feeling a little bit of pressure from the economy. And as journalists, you see this stuff very in a, like a secondary form. And so we went to a press conference, which was at Northwest College, and it was about all of the infrastructure stuff the government has done. It was about all the projects they'd done. There was no theme or anything. We went into an empty building that was under construction at Northwest. Um, they told us they were doing a bunch of stuff. And there was no details about any of the stuff. There was just a list of projects. There was no details about the project that we were actually at. So if I wanted to say, the government's working really hard on Northwest College, here's the details. I didn't even have details on the thing that we were at. And as a government, I, I think I understand the temptation to say, hey, 
we need to look like we're on top of this economy thing. Like we need to get out there and show people we're spending money, we're doing this kind of stuff. But we are getting this kind of like scattered approach to just just announce anything. And at that press conference, I went up and asked a question about the Yellowhead Trail, and that was not at all what they wanted to talk about. And they told me they had no money for it, and that was what my story was about. So it didn't really work for them either. And I, I wonder if maybe they're never going to tell you they're concerned about this stuff. But that poll that came out, you have to get a little feeling in your gut if you're in the NDP. And with the economy, we're hitting $50 a barrel, but it's going so slowly. And the election is getting closer and closer. I don't think that we're getting the kind of growth that they hope for. And then we're going to have another budget, which is still feeling the remnants of the stuff from last year. I, I would really like to know what the mood is in that government right now, because as a journalist, you are just trying to intuit these things it doesn't feel good. I th- yeah, I think they need to. F- they feel like they need to show that there are things happening, but sometimes those things are hard to articulate. Yeah. And yeah, you there are tens of thousands of geologists, engineers, geophysicists, people in all kinds of things who are either out of work or who are doing things that they are not trained for. They're teaching music. They're selling cars. These are all friends of mine who are doing these kinds of things. So if you're sitting in those jobs and you're not doing what you've spent a lot of time getting trained to do, it's really frustrating. So I bet you that they're feeling in government the pressure to show like they're doing something. And I got to say, on this Future Ready stuff, it does, so you give it a ridiculous name, if they are actually working to break down silos between departments and get some cooperation and make things work in a better way for Albertans, then that's a good thing. Absolutely. But yeah, they need to be specific about it. And I hope that in a year they can show us, here's what we've done specifically, not just a list of, you know, theoreticals. Yeah, they've been, um, I think my last count was five events this week about Future Ready. So we had the launch, we had... um Something at night, which was talking about dollars to apprentices, I believe. Yeah. So again, yeah, there are, like and I think that that could be helpful. That's it's, true. It's a good. That is a good thing. A thousand dollars isn't a ton of money, but it is something, something. So you know, yeah. good. Yeah. Get that out there. Let people know. So that's another thing that these announcements do is they let people know that that is available for them. So yeah, there's going to be apparently changes to student aid, but there's no details on that yet. <laughs> Back to your point, Stuart. <laughs> there are no details yeah. on that yet. Just accept Keeping it and move on. Yeah, well, just like Donald Trump is going to do <laughs> when he wins or not the election. Um, let's not talk about that. See, like, we must have gone 17 whole minutes yeah, with that. <laughs> we actually, yeah, like good job team. Yeah. Um, okay, so that wraps up our discussions about Alberta politics for the day. But let's go to our regular segment, segment good stuff from the gallery. Sarah, do you have something this week? I do. And it is about the American election. Surprise, surprise. I want to give a couple of pieces out there. One, uh, there is an editorial from the Arizona Republic, azcentral.com, that endorsed Hillary Clinton. Now, this was significant because this publication, online and in print since, well, they've existed since 1890, they've never endorsed a Democrat over a Republican for president. Never. This is something that a lot of traditionally Republican-leaning papers have been doing. Not all, I will say. Not there's not that Trump does not have or Hillary Clinton, Hillary Clinton does not have universal endorsements, but she's getting a few. And so it was a very well-worded, uh, interesting editorial laying out the case for why Clinton is better. And they say, make no mistake, Hillary Clinton has flaws. She's made serious missteps, but then they go on to talk about how, despite her flaws, she's a superior choice. Um, 
So the blowback against them for that endorsement has been huge and crazy. Uh, They've had death threats. They've had all kinds of things. So I also want to recommend their publisher's piece where she wrote, how do we respond to threats after our endorsement? This is how. Um, Really powerful pieces showed the importance of, uh, I guess, taking a stand and the importance of uh, knowing that uh, you're going to have to own it. And that's... uh, Endorsements are always hard. It's just amazing to see how very hard it's been for some of these publications in the U.S. this election. For sure. Tomar? Uh, I've got an older piece, but I think it'll come in handy in the next couple of weeks. It's uh, George Orwell's essay on how to make a good cup of tea. And if you are a British person living in North America, it is a hard life because you— Really, though? There's terrible tea. Oh, it's terrible. They don't even boil the water. So I know. <laughs> it's Shocking. It's basically a list of uh, just things to keep in mind when you're making tea. Uh, you want the water to be boiling as it hits the bag. You want to uh, leave it in there for at least three minutes because you don't want weak tea. Mm-hmm. And controversially, this is actually highly debated in Britain, but he puts the milk in afterwards. Oh, he doesn't. Yeah. My father-in-law would have him— Shot. He makes a strong case for it, and I'll leave that for the piece. Interesting. Um, <laughs> is there, I'm an, really is there glad. an analogy? I haven't read this, but is there an analogy here to like politics? No, it's just how to make a good cup of tea. Really? And I think that people need to know that it's information that got lost coming across the Atlantic. And I don't know why. Sarah looks so confused. Right I now. guess. <laughs> I, I guess maybe if world leaders are sitting down to have tea together, you'd want to nail that. Yeah. Yeah. True story. When I moved to California to do my graduate work in Palo Alto, I went out to find a teapot and a tea cozy. Palo Alto has a lot of stores. To find a teapot and a tea cozy took me about a month. The fact that you it needed was... a cozy for it, Paula, like in what? Palo Alto, stay warm. <laughs> Can I just say I'm really glad that the uh, podcast is finally taking on the, the topic, the controversial topic of how to make a good cuppa. Finally, it's been many 155 episodes. I thought maybe we were getting like a tea party reference or something, but no. I have have a completely different thing. Okay, let's go. All right, do you want to go first? first. Oh, yeah. I'm reading a great book right now. It's called Lawrence in Arabia, uh, War, Deceit, Imperial Folly, and the Making of the Modern Middle East. Uh, And as things continue the way they do in the Middle East, I've found it a fascinating and fantastic look at the history um, about why the Middle East is the way it is right now. It's by Scott Anderson. It's framed about T.E. Lawrence, uh, Lawrence in Arabia, and it is it is informative. It's oh, it is so well written. I keep I keep going no way, and then reading out bits to my husband because that's kind of a sign of a good book. Exactly. Oh, and I <laughs> and would a also, good marriage. Yeah. <laughs> and I would also recommend, of course, everyone go and watch the thick of it because it's fantastic. Paula. All right. Uh, this is a Trump-free recommendation, mostly. Um, <laughs> mostly. <laughs> It was a really great short documentary I watched on BBC this week about the rise of President Duarte in the Philippines and the strong man who has emerged there, um, fueled in part by a fear in the Philippines about a rising methamphetamine crisis. So he's been cracking down on drug dealers to the point where in the streets of Manila there are now assassins who go out and kill alleged drug dealers. And so if somebody informs on you and says that you're a drug dealer or you used to be a drug dealer, you can turn up dead. Uh, it is such a, it's a really well put together piece that features an, an, a long form interview with a young woman who's been working as an assassin, uh, riding through the streets in her sort of, uh, you know, uh, putt-putt motorcycle uh, 
shooting people for money and saying very sweetly that she doesn't want her children to find out that this is how she's supporting the family. And I think given Edmonton's really close ties to the Philippines and our large Filipino community here, it's really important, I think, that, that people here understand what an extraordinary political situation is developing in the Philippines uh, where it, it looks like Duarte wants to go back to the Marcos model of, of dictatorship. So a really fascinating thing to watch. Plus, also, I'm going to recommend that on Tuesday... Uh, if you're a oh, no. if you're a political buff, you want to head down to the On the Rocks Bar uh, in Oliver on on Jasper Avenue, where uh, there's going to be a fundraising event for a woman's art museum, uh, it, which various public figures, including uh, you know Lori Sigurdsson, cabinet minister, will be engaging in Edmonton's first celebrity lip syncing competition. But you'll want to be there to cheer on the duet tag team of Emma Graney and Paula Simons, who will be performing. That's right. We who will, will be. Performing Forming our mute rendition of It's Raining Men by the Weather Girls. Uh, tickets Seriously. Are, tickets are $10. Starts at 7 o'clock and your, your $10 ticket goes to charity and includes the cost of a free drink, which Emma and I might need perhaps before and I after. I will gather all of them. I like that when Paula <laughs> decides to make a spectacle of herself, she wants there to be maximum crowds. Mm. Right? <laughs> I was not. It's a fundraiser for a worthy cause, the Women's Art Museum of Canada. Of course, that's what it is. That's what it is. And if anyone can take my late shift here at the Journal so I can go, give me a shout on Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) Guys, thank you so much for joining me, Sarah, Tomo, Paula. Uh, No video this week. I believe there's been actual news happening in town that a photographer had to get to. (laughs) (laughs) And we we make no promises of videos of, of our lip syncing. Oh, Lord, I hope there is not one of that. Um, So you'll find this podcast on theedmontonjournal.com, also on our SoundCloud feed, iTunes, and TuneIn Radio. Join us again this time next week. We'd love to have you here at the Press Gallery.